Hey, everyone. Thanks, as usual, for listening to our show. As usual, check out our Twitter, at Midcourt Madness, and check out our website if you feel like doing some good reading, midcourtmadness.wordpress.com. Here's the show. On today's Midcourt Madness, Biggs, you are no longer sitting right next to me recording. You have moved south a little bit to the great state of South Dakota, but we are pushing through this. We have we've caught up with the times of virtual recording, and we're going to give this a shot. We're going to see how our listeners like this. Uh, you ready for this? Yeah, they say the camera adds 10, or 10 pounds. Uh, it looks like it's all muscle for you. You've got a strong jawline, and I, my only lament is that I, I didn't enjoy enough of that when we were in person. But here we are. We're going to face adversity. We're, we're going to get through it. All right, let's get into it. All right, John, you got a winner? You know, Biggs, I do actually. Um, you know, this upcoming season is going to be the year, the first year with the new NIL laws where players can earn money off their name, image, and likeness. And we have two players who originally were 2022 recruits. Um, and actually the number one and number two overall recruits as far as the most recent rankings, um, Jalen Duran and Imani Bates. And we'll get more into this later. But both of them have reclassified very recent to the 2021 uh, rankings, and they're about ranked number fourth, fifth in 2021. Um, and it remains to be seen exactly what Imani Bates will do. He hasn't said where he's going to go. He could still go G League. But Jalen Duran is going the college basketball route and has already committed to Memphis. And you got to wonder how much of this has to do with these NIL laws that have gone into place. Because originally, you look at a guy like Jalen Green from a year ago. He goes to the G League. He earns $500,000. Well, now, Jalen Duran, when he's weighing his options, you know he, he's thinking, if it was a year ago and he was in the same situation, he's sitting there thinking, you know, I could go to the G League route, make $500,000, or I could go to college and earn nothing for my one year out of high school. Well, now that's taken away because he can earn money off his name, name, image, and likeness. So that's why they're my big winners. That's a great point. Yeah, I mean that that's been talked about for for a long time now. Well, especially now that now that the G League, it seems like last year is kind of the first year where it's like they're openly kind of recruiting college basketball players, right? The G League has never really been uh, this kind of thing. It's always been kind of a a way for guys who don't get drafted to play, and, and we've talked about kind of the minor league system. Uh, you know, to, to the NBA, and it's kind of that feeder system, and guys who who maybe go try their hand at the NBA, it doesn't work out. They go down to the G League and they they work on their game a little more, and, and you maybe they have a chance then to to earn their way back into the NBA system uh, that way. It's 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 kind of an uphill battle, but uh, it's kind of your last ditch effort for some guys who are too are too good to uh, give it up. Well, last year the G League comes out and they say we're we're creating a team. Essentially, we want to. We want to have. We want to keep our our top young talent in the states. We don't want them going over to Australia. A lot of guys have been doing that lately. You know, Lonzo Ball or uh, uh, Lamelo Ball. Okay, so you have you have uh, you have R.J. Hampton who is going to go maybe to Kansas. He was like a top ten rated recruit. He just said, I, I don't need college basketball. Uh, you have guys like Brandon Jennings, ba- even back like a, about a decade ago, who wasn't going to qualify. Uh, Emmanuel Moutier, another high level. High-level kid who had gone to Larry Brown to SMU 
went over to went over to China. These are top rated players who maybe instead of doing that, instead of going overseas, they can stay in this developmental program, play for the NBA. Um, when they set that up, it wasn't believed to have been an active recruiting tactic against college. And then, and then it was. They started po- poaching top fifteen guys away from from teams like Michigan and UCLA, getting getting some really really high end players. Not to mention Jalen Green, who I think a lot of people assume was going to go G League anyway. But they took guys who had already been committed to local program or to programs, uh, essentially saying, "Fuck you, college hoops. We're we're taking your talent, uh, and we're going to offer them money because you guys can't, at least over the table." Well, college basketball's response now, and, and I doubt it's a direct response to the G League taking their top guys, but uh, it's certainly an indirect kind of, we, we talk uh, unintended consequence, it's kind of an indirect positive consequence here is that maybe you get to keep some of your top guys. Now you can kind of fend off the G League in a sense. You keep some of your top guys playing college hoops, and I, I've never, I've always kind of thought that's a little overblown. We don't, college hoops survive without LeBron. It survived without Kevin Garnett. Survive without Kobe, it's going to survive without R.J. Hampton and Emmanuel Moutier and all these guys. Um, but it's better to have them playing college hoops than it's than, than than to not. So, yeah, it's great. I mean, you're right. The NIL, I don't think – I think Amani Bates for sure, we, we don't know where he's going to play yet. Uh, by the time this pod comes out, he, he could have made a decision. But um, I don't think there's any question that he would be playing in the G League if – he still might. Uh, but I think college has a chance now because – He's not putting him. He's not turning down huge amounts of money. Well said, Biggs. Um, yeah, I have really nothing to add to that. Who's your big winner? Sorry, I, sorry, I took all that stuff there and, and didn't give you anything else to add. That's that's my fault. That, that's fine. I, I added everything I knew about it. <laughs> all right, my big winner, John. Uh, it's kind of a tie between Greg Gard and Alondo Tucker. You're wondering how how can they how can this possibly be a tie? Okay, so here's here's the backstory. We we talked about this uh, a couple of months ago. Wisconsin had a thing where their seniors all went in. Greg Gard is the head coach at Wisconsin. Uh, the big group of seniors at one point in the season went in into the into the coaches' meeting. Somebody recorded it. They're talking about how we don't like you, Greg Gard. We don't we don't think you have our backs. You're not looking out for our best interest. Uh, you're not coddling us enough. Uh, you're not giving us enough of enough hugs, kisses, goodnight. All of this stuff. We need to be pampered. You're not pampering us enough. And there were some who thought Greg Gard didn't look all that good coming out of that situation. He's not a player's coach. His players don't respect him enough. Has he, has he lost the program? Wisconsin's always had this great culture. Well, now just lit the culture right on fire because one of these players was, and then the players maybe didn't look all that great either because, well, someone's recording this. It's kind of a Bush League move. Well, flash forward now a couple of months, and we've come to realize now that Alondo Tucker, who was an assistant coach on the Wisconsin staff, one of the all-time greats at Wisconsin, was the Big Ten Player of the Year. I believe it was in like 06, 07. Terrific player in college, an absolutely awesome player. What do you same got? year, to my knowledge, to my knowledge, same year that Greg Oden was there, he was the Big Ten Player of the Year. Yes, and and, and Alondo Tucker, I, I mean, I think that was fair. If you remember, Alondo Tucker was awesome. And that Wisconsin team, that was when Wisconsin, uh, they've always kind of won despite kind of having lackluster talent, right? They don't win the layup line, uh, but they but they just always win. They're kind of that Virginia, kind of cut from that Virginia cloth where they look they, they win, but man, they don't look good doing it. And, and Alondo Tucker sure looked good doing it. He was really good. And he hasn't really, he didn't really have much of an NBA career, not much of a professional career to speak of. He joins the Wisconsin assistant coaching staff. And... 
after the season, he was not retained. He was let go by guard. And now it's come out that he was the one, indeed, who was doing the recording of that meeting. And he released the tapes, as uh, as Titus and Tate like to say, released the tapes. He, he released the tapes. And I think it, it, this makes Greg Gard look better because uh, he had to fight off basically someone who was trying to, uh, you know, as, as Cersei Lannister told us, you, when you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Well, Greg Gard refused to die. He said, I'm going to win. I'm going to keep this throne. I'm going to win. Alondo Tucker, you're going to die. I'm going to sick the mountain on you. It's going to crush your skull. Remember that episode? How wild was that? You saw Game of Thrones, right? Do you remember that episode where the guy crushes his skull? All I remember is my disappointment after the last season. Um, I watched that show. I started watching that show three weeks before the last season began. I binged the hell out of it. Yeah. Just just to be ready for that last season. And then, and like, it was great. I'm not taking anything from like that first, I think it was first six, I think it was seven seasons. I binged six seasons, but that season seven was God awful bigs. I'm sorry. And I just, no, the ending wasn't, it wasn't great. The end, the ending wasn't great. You're right. I, I think the early, the early seasons, though, were, were or maybe the middle seasons, I think, were, were particularly good. The season where the guy got his head crushed was just crazy. Mm-hmm. But anyway, guard keeps his throne. Uh, so he comes out looking better in this situation, right? He's he's saying, we're going to keep this culture. Alondo Tucker was the one. He's, he's attacking our culture. We're not keeping you around. Bye, bitch. And Alondo Tucker, I think, actually comes out as a winner because now he doesn't have to potentially be the head coach at Wisconsin. Wisconsin sucks. We hate Wisconsin, just like we hate Virginia for their stupid style. I, I actually like Virginia, but as young people, I guess we're supposed to hate Virginia because of their stupid style. Wisconsin was the original Virginia, John, and they're more hateable even than Virginia with their stupid ways. Now Alondo Tucker doesn't have to be associated with them. Therefore, we don't hate him as much. He's a winner. What say you? You know, I'm just going to add on to that. Um, and it, you know, you're saying it's a tie. I don't know how much of a tie it is. I would say Grey Guard is the winner, especially if you just start back from a month or so ago when these tapes came out and people were questioning how Grey Guard looks. Well, now it looks that he really had nothing to do with all this. This is all an Alondo Tucker thing. And in addition to that, are you going to want to hire someone who's going for your job? Are you going to want to hire – is Alondo Tucker going to be able to get another assistant coaching job? Say if – let's just say Jay Wright's looking for an assistant coach. Is Jay Wright going to want to hire someone who has a history of trying to create a mutiny and just going behind your back and taking your job? I I certainly wouldn't. Yeah. And so, with all that, I would, I would say Great it's point. not a tie at all. Gray Guard's a winner in this for sure, and Alana Tucker, the big loser in this. I, I think that's probably that's that's well said. I, I would actually, I might, I might have to change. I might have to revise my statement of winners, and, and I think Gray Guard is a winner. How about the seniors at Wisconsin? Do they come out looking better, knowing now that it wasn't one of them who was trying to stab Gray Guard in the back? I still wanted to be a little bit coddled, and they come off as pampered little bitches. But they're not backstabbing pampered little bitches. At least they're just honest about being pampered little bitches. So I like, did. Did ever come out? Were they in in on this? Do you think, or were, did Alondo Tucker approach the seniors, and be like, "Hey, let me record you guys," or is it just Alondo Tucker knowing that there's this big conversation going on? He just happened to be in the room, and he just clicks record to try and take take advantage of the situation. That's a great question. That one, I am not sure if that has come out yet, and. Frankly, I doubt that kind of thing will ever come to light. My guess is Wisconsin wants to sweep this under the rug, make it go away as quickly as possible. How surprised would you be if it was kind of like that, though, that Alondo Tucker's trying to, hey, hey, guys, you know, coach doesn't understand you. I do. 
I'm, I'm the good guy, right? As the assistant coach, you get to be kind of the good guy and like kind of the bouncing, kind of the, uh, the idea kind of bouncing board for, for players and stuff. You get to get to put their arm on, around their shoulder and say, no, it's okay. You know, but then that head coach has to be kind of the, 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 uh, the bad cop, the good cop, bad cop routine. Uh, how surprised would you be at that? Uh, I, I think I still would be surprised because if you're going to approach players to try and get the head coach canned, I don't think you're going to the seniors who are going to be on their way out of the door. You're going to go to the underclassmen, wouldn't you think? That's true. That If that's the case, then Alondo Tucker's really bad at mutinying. Yeah. Big loser, Alondo Tucker at mutinying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. Alondo Tucker really screwed the pooch. What a dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> What an idiot. John, do you have a loser besides Alondo Tucker? Oh, yeah. That's a great segue into my loser, actually. Um, Thank you. Big, my big loser is the Duke non-conference schedule. Now, and it's it's actually a, sort of twofold here. And the first part of it is Coach K being a loser because I don't know if you saw the image, like the <laughs> graphic on Twitter when they released it. And, you know – these colleges, these programs always put images on them, right? And it's normally key players for their team. So in the case of Duke, they might have like, you know, Jeremy Roach, Mark Williams, you know, uh, Paolo Bonchero, you know, key players for this upcoming season. Do you know who they had, Biggs? I do, in fact, know who they had. I'd like you to tell the story, They had though. four pictures of Coach K. <laughs> so, like, did they have, like, his front, his right side, his left side, his back side? Which photo was the best one? Honestly, I don't even know. They had... Because it's sort of, they put it out as like a diamond. So they had like one like where he's like looking one direction, one looking the other direction, one and the the one the one on the bottom should have been him laying down on the ground when he <laughs> I shouldn't make fun of that. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been great. One of them maybe doing the coach's crouch and then just falling over. Oh uh, I did see this and it and it is it's not even subtle anymore. Like at least, you know, like uh, it's always been, it's always kind of been charming how people, how like the coach K lovers, uh, people who really love Duke love coach K. And, and they always used to kind of say like, oh, he's such a, he's such a good person. He's such a great guy. He's so nice. It feels like he cares about his players. And, and like, this is like, he's not, it's like, he's not even trying anymore. It's like, I'm leaning all the way into like, it is completely about me. I'm going to make this going away party thing even bigger than Derek Jeter's, bigger than Kobe Bryant's. We are going to make everything about Coach K this mm-hmm. year. Yes, and yeah, especially on his way out. That, like we all knew, there's no way he's gonna was gonna pass up any opportunity to be the center of attention, and it just he does it again. That's all I can say. Um, but my other part of this whole big loser thing is just the content. Of their non-conference schedule. So they have 11 games, Biggs, on their non-conference schedule. Okay. Two of those are neutral site games. One against Kentucky in New York City and the other against Gonzaga in Las Vegas. Okay. Yep. They sign up for that Kentucky one every year. Well, it's either Kentucky, Kansas, or Michigan State, that that Champions Classic. And then there's one that is part of the Big Ten ACC Challenge against Ohio State, which is in. Ohio State. Okay. So it is an away game and it is a true road game or a true non conference road game. So I'll give them that. But it is in a way forced upon them. Like that like the Big Ten and the ACC, when they're setting up these schedules, they're the ones deciding who who goes where. Okay. So eleven sure. non conference games. I just gave you three of them 
that are basically not decided upon by them on where they go. So that's eight games remaining. Now, with with that, you would think that on average, you know, every single basketball game has a home team and an away team. So you would just doing a little math here. Four should be home and four should be away, right? On average. Yeah, give or take. Yeah. And so do you want to take a guess as to with the remaining eight games, how many of them are road games? Okay, so we've already got we've got two we've got two true neutral games and one true road game, right? That's what you said? Correct. Okay, so we have eight more games. I'm going to say they play two more road games. Okay, so you're probably pra- like factoring in the fact that you know their 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 court is sort of a, a big place that people want to play at and is a marketable arena and everything. Yeah, so I get I get how yeah. you go below below the fifty percent and say two. Um, the actual answer, Biggs, zero. Sorry, what? Zero. Zero, like as in none. Correct. That's 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 prime. That's very on brand for Duke. <laughs> And I know this is something I I, uh, I talked about because I brought up that one book I, I had read that one time, and I was supposed to do homework. I still haven't done it. So you may fail me as a teacher if you would okay. like. Um, but let's just go through these games too. Those remaining eight games. Let's do it. They host Army, Campbell, Gardner-Webb, Lafayette, The Citadel, South Carolina State, Appalachian State, and Cleveland State. Quite a murderer's row there, Biggs. <laughs> yeah, the, the, they're, they're lucky that they're going to be basically primed, ready to go for that Cleveland State one. That's the only, to my knowledge, returning team that made the tournament last year. Cleveland State, a vaunted 15 seed. Uh, and did they lose their coach? They might have. They might have lost their coach. So who knows what Cleveland State's going to look like. But... Uh, not afraid of the Campbell fighting camels? No. And, okay, wasn't it a big thing a couple years ago? Stephen F. Austin beat him at home. And the stat was, is the first, it was the first home not non-conference loss in X number of years. And I can't remember the number off the top of my head. But these are the teams they're playing. It's not that tough to believe. No, it really isn't. You're right. And, <laughs> I mean, none of these teams are going to be good. Like, the Citadel? Where is that? I honestly don't know. Let's look it up, shall we? I mean, honestly, like if you name name like out of these eight schools, can you name what states any of them are in? Uh, I can name the Citadel because I just looked it up. It's in South Carolina. South Carolina. I'm going to go out on a limb and guess South Carolina states in South Carolina. Uh, I'll look it up, but yeah, probably. Cleveland State, probably in Ohio. Uh, Lafayette, probably Louisiana. Army, obviously West Point. I have no idea what state that's in. That's not in Maryland. That's that's Annapolis. So that'd be like Navy. West Point. That's is that just out in like is that out in Washington? Is it like Mar- like Maryland though? Like it's got to be out. It's out east. So we we know this much. It's in New York. New York. That's my big loser, Biggs. Who's yours? That's a that's a terrific loser, and I don't know if I can can match that. Uh, but my loser, John, is I've got a I've got a, a kind of an in depth kind of layered loser for you here. The all, all under the umbrella of the 2021 recruiting class. Okay. And you mentioned this before Jalen Duran uh, and Amani Bates 
the number one and two rated recruits in the 2022 class, reclassified into 2021 uh, in the last week or so. Uh, in the newest ratings of uh, 247 Sports, the kind of the prohibitive uh, ranking service, Jalen Duran ranks number four. Imani Bates ranks number five. So they were number one and two in 2022. They move up a class. Now they're number four and five in 2021. Okay. That naturally pushes down Jabari Smith. He's a loser because he was the number four rated recruit. He was He's headed to Auburn. Now he's the number six rated recruit. How exciting is it if you're Auburn thinking, hey, we got a top five recruit coming in. Now we don't have a top five recruit coming in. We have the number six rated recruit. Not as exciting. Patrick Baldwin was the number five rated recruit, picking UW-Milwaukee. UW-Milwaukee's never had a top five recruit. Well, now they've never had a top five recruit still because Patrick Baldwin is now number seven rather than five. You want another level to this? Kennedy Chandler. He's the number eight rated recruit. He's going to Tennessee. He was rated number six, but if you want to take out Jaden Hardy because he's going professional, going to the G League, he's the number three rated recruit. Knock him off the list. Kennedy Chandler was the fifth highest rated freshman playing college basketball next season. No longer there. He's number eight. Boom. Take him away. 11-12-13. J.D. Davison, the number 12 rated recruit on 247. No longer a top 10 rated recruit. He's number 12 because of these two guys. And Kendall Brown, the number 13 rated recruit. Again, he would have been higher rated because of these two guys plus a couple guys going to the G League. He could reasonably say, I'm one of the top 10 freshmen enrolling into college basketball. Not so fast, my friend. You are number 13 now on the outside looking in. You do not have a top 10 rated recruit. We do not have top five rated recruits. Those guys are my losers. Wow. I, I really like that. Um, I have a question, though. You know, we've there. this isn't the first time that guys have reclassed. Okay. We talk, I've seen, you know, that with Duke, they've gotten both Derek Thornton and um, Marvin Bagley, you know. Um, you'd go over to Kentucky. They've gotten guys like Johnny Juzang and Devin Askew, who Johnny Juzang did end up going to UCLA after his freshman year and had, I mean, we, we all know how he did during the tournament last year. Um, Devin Askew, it remains to be seen this year at Texas. Um, but with these reclassifications, how, are, would you say it's better to do it or to not do it? Like who, has it been more than norm to be unsuccessful? when you reclassify or the other way around? I mean, I think when you're talking like the level of these two guys, Duran and, and Bates, although there is some talk that Bates is actually going to have to spend two years either in college or the G league because he doesn't turn, he's like really young. He doesn't turn 19 or doesn't turn 18 until January. I, I saw there was some sort of smoke going around that he wouldn't actually be eligible to enter next NBA draft anyway. Um, now he could probably submit for like some sort of a, some sort of a waiver or something. I don't. I don't know what the likelihood is of that working. But generally, when when these when they're that highly rated, um, yeah, it, it makes sense to to go. When you're talking about Musa Sise and Devin Askew and Juzang, who are like they're like probably 15 kind of range in the previous class. They're like top like 30 to 40 recruits playing up a year. Um, Kyra Lewis was the same way, who eventually was a first round pick, but he was a two and through guy at Alabama. Um, I don't know how much it makes sense. I, mean, I, I get the idea. They all want to do it because the quicker I get 
I start my money-making clock. You know, the quicker I get to the NBA, the quicker I get to my second contract, the quicker I get to my third contract. And and so these guys are high enough where they're not going to play in college any longer than they absolutely have to. There's nothing Jalen Duran gains uh, by playing another year of high school basketball. There just, just isn't. Same with Imani Bates. Um, it, it's the same thing. Then when they get to college, they're going to play one year of college, and, and they're going because they're going to make money. So I, so I get it when you're that highly rated. Um, you know, some of those guys, obviously Johnny Juzang was not ready. He was not a good player as a freshman. Uh, same deal with, with Askew and, and we'll see if he becomes a good player. Same thing with Musa Cisse. I, I think there's a great chance he becomes a really good college player, but, um, uh, it's hard for those guys who are not at the very, very top kind of like top, what 1% of talent level kind of guys. But I mean, yeah, Bagley did it. I think RJ, RJ Barrett might've done it the very next year too. So, I mean, it's worked for some of these guys. Um, it's it's probably hit or miss, but I don't know. If you're that highly rated, though, I guess it makes sense. Yeah, I see what you're saying. And I'd say, honestly, you know, you talked about Bagley. I'd say he's probably the most, um, the the best comparison, just considering where they were ranked. Because, like, Bagley, if I remember correctly, reclassified and was still the number one overall recruit and did play very well at Duke. But as you can see, like he has not had the successful NBA career. Um, He's turning into that, you know, bus category. And uh, to piggyback on your Imani Bates stuff, um, I know it is something I have have heard on other podcasts that, yeah, he has to wait two years. Um, And I have not heard anyone say, even mention the possibility of any sort of a waiver to get in the NBA a year early. And I feel like if that if there was even the slightest chance that someone else would be talking about it, and I haven't heard anything about that. But yeah, because this actually really transitions into the non-winners and losers portion of our podcast. And, you know, we talked about Jalen Duran, who, like we said, reclassified Friday evening to um, Memphis. And so this really gives them, looks like a starting five of, you know, Lester Quinones. Um, shooting guard, um, average about 10, 10 points yep. per game, his first two seasons. Landers Nolly, who was in his first year there after he was originally at Virginia Tech, um, gets into those teens as far as scoring average. Um, Earl Timberlake, who transferred over from Miami a year ago, who battled some injuries, didn't play a whole lot, but in his limited time was very impressive. Um, DeAndre Williams, who, you know, is just, he's a big body inside. And then obviously the, Jalen Duran, who will obviously slide in sort of that center position. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but there is some steam picking up that Imani Bates could also be on the short, like Memphis could be on Imani Bates' short list. Um, And I don't, the only, just looking at the roster, the only thing, they don't really have a true point guard. That's really their only downfall. Um, I have heard that Bates, even though he's 6'9", could sort of, play that role possibly they could possibly look to see if they can get in that role um but all in all you know for penny hardaway it's gonna be his fourth year it's sort of gut check time for him now because he hasn't had the success that they want especially with the recruiting classes they've had they've had guys like james wiseman precious achua um so this it's a good roster for him to have for you know gut check time to see if he can actually live up to expectations in memphis yeah, absolutely. I mean, take out the the Bates aspect of it, and just even if they're just going with, they got Duran now, Jalen Duran, along with as you mentioned, Quinones, Nolly, DeAndre Williams, 
And, and I would say Alex Lomax is probably their their starting point guard at this point. And he, he he's been kind of off and on. Like he's not nobody who doesn't follow college basketball is going to have any idea who Alex Lomax is. When Alex Lomax graduates in two years, nobody will probably ever hear that name again because he's not going to be a professional. Uh, he's he's not a great college basketball player. But I actually think he probably gives them what they need at that point guard spot. You know, we're, we've been conditioned in the last kind of, I don't know, the last decade with 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 the emergence of all these scoring point guards. You know, like it, it, kids don't want to be like Chris Paul anymore. They want to be like Dame Lillard, right? They want to pull up from uh, halfway between the three point line and half court and knock down threes. You know, Steph Curry is doing the same kind of thing. Um, you know, Russell Westbrook, John Wall, all these guys who are who are like these high level kind of scoring point guards. Um, Alex Lomax is not that. And when you're talking about this Memphis team, you've got Quinones, who's a, who's a decent scorer who can really shoot it. Uh, Nolly, who you mentioned is, is a, is a, is a really solid kind of score on the wing and Deandre Williams, who, who I actually really like is kind of a, a secondary kind of playmaker. He's kind of a Jack of all trades. He could lead the team in, in like all those categories. He, he's going to be like a 12 points, eight rebounds, four assists type guy. He just kind of does a little bit of everything. And now Durant, who's kind of a big man, you kind of need a point guard who's just going to get the hell out of the way, you know. And I think Lomax is going to fit that role. He's not a shooter, and so I think you know a lot of people look at this like it's the NBA, and you need your point guard to be able to shoot the ball. College is not the NBA. If your point guard is not a prime level scoring threat, it's not it's not the end of the world because the way the game is structured, it's not just nothing but high ball screen pick and roll stuff. They they run offense more in college basketball. The NBA, it's it's. It's horn set. We're going to run pick and roll, and you're going to either pitch it to the corner, take a layup, or a lob. It's almost sometimes really that simple. Um, Lomax is the type of guy who's just kind of a floor general type who's going to get up and down the floor. He's going to set his guys up, get them in position, pass it, and he's going to he's going to get out of the way to all these guys who who want shots. So I I I, I, I hear exactly what you're saying from from other folks who say they, they need a point guard. They don't have a point guard. I think they have an okay enough point guard. As long as he plays decent defense and, and just gets out of the way, gets gets assists and stuff like that, they don't need Dame Lillard on their team, you know, or something like that. So um, I, I, you're right, though. It's it's a great – I think a great roster in terms of the kind of put-up-or-shut-up thing with Penny where all the – there was so much hype when he was named the head coach, and, and a lot of it was because he said the recruiting had gotten stale with Tubby Smith, and, and Penny kind of injected some life in and said, hey, I'm going to get – I'm going to get high level recruits and he's absolutely done that, you know, with, with Wiseman who only played three games, but precious Achua was awesome as a freshman. Uh, Musa Cisse was a really high rated five-star kind of big. Uh, Quinones is a pretty highly rated player. They've Boogie Ellis was a highly rated player who transferred out, but they they've recruited at a high level and, and now they've got vets on that team uh, and, and some potential high end young talent with, with Duran who gives them kind of an anchor inside and if they and if they get a Monty Bates, then then hit the throttle down on the hype train because Memphis will be, it'll it'll be Duke levels of hype for Memphis. I mean I mean think if this roster was Duke, how much hype it would be getting? It'll probably be ranked in like the fifteen to twenty range. And if you get Bates, it'll probably be ranked in like the top ten range. Um, it, it's gonna be it's gonna be fascinating, and, and hopefully they do. I don't know where do you where do you think a Monty Bates is gonna end up? Bates, to be honest, I don't really know because I mean I'm, unfortunately you or I are not really in the recruiting game no one has our number for some reason no one likes to text us letting us know who's recruiting who um and i had i had actually forgotten about you know he has committed to michigan state and then obviously decommitted um and i think the remaining teams are basically memphis 
Oregon, and the G League. Um, had NIL stuff not passed, or yeah, had NIL stuff not passed, I would say G League. Um, but I think everything I have read, I guess, um, says Memphis. Um, so yeah, I'll go with Memphis. Sounds good to me. If you did have sources, would you tell us who they are? I could tell you, but then I'd have to kill you, sort of thing. Oh gosh, that, that you're super intrigued. <laughs> um, but you know, just looking at the conference here, Biggs, and talking about the American, you know, the main teams are obviously Wichita State, Houston, who made the Final Four a year ago, um, SMU, and then Cincinnati, who has um, new head coach with Wes Miller. Hopefully, hopefully, some new life there. Where do you think they would slot in? Because I. I would say it's basically between them and Houston to see who's the best team in the conference. Yeah, I mean, when you're just talking raw talent, I think Memphis, you probably say on paper, gets that edge. Uh, but in college basketball, it, coaching is worth worth a lot of wins. So I think naturally inclined to just say, I think Kelvin Sampson is going to extract as much out of Houston as he possibly can. And I'm not sure if Penny is, is good enough to do that with Memphis. They, they just... Don't, I mean they ha- they've always had great athletes and they they play good defense because they're so big and kind of rangy and, and kind of switchable right that's kind of a, another college basketball uh, or just a basketball buzzword now that's taken over the world that switchable oh everyone everyone's so switchable you know uh, gets exhausting but you watch them play and they don't run any damn offense they it's just like they they don't it's just like hey go be better than them and it's like well that doesn't really always work. And so I, I would say Houston is probably, I think even in the eyes of the public gets enough respect now where like, that's no longer like a, they're sneaky good. I think people just recognize that Houston is, is really solid and really well coached and they're just going to gut out tough wins that, that Memphis might not. So I, I would say Houston's probably the favorite. Now if they get a Monty Bates, that probably changes, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, I'd say it, it gets a little closer. Um, I would agree with you that Houston is the better team. And, you know, you talked about coaching. And, yes, Kelvin Sampson is a better coach than Penny Hardway, at least so far. Um, but the other side of it is Houston, granted, they do have a lot of moving pieces this year, especially with the transfer portal. But they do have a little more chemistry. Um, they got guys like Marcus Sasser and Fabian White returning. Um, and also just – older players guys with more experience guys who have you know played college basketball and been in in those basketball gyms with a lot, a lot of cheering fans uh maybe not last year i guess technically um but yeah i would agree with you that houston's definitely the best team going into the season i would agree with that either way i mean man you hope it, it's gonna be fun though i mean memphis has had i think that's kind of one of those under the radar really fun kind of college basketball brands that's been really down for well, basically since Calipari left. I mean, they had, they had some years early with Passner where they were like decent. Right. And, and it just feels like it's like a sleeping giant. And and if Penny actually can start winning more, I mean, they, they won the NIT last year and they, they were kind of one of those final teams that was like maybe kind of right on the bubble of the tournament. And so it's not like they were complete dog shit last year, but but I think with the amount of hype that he had coming in as the coach, the amount of recruiting success they've had, it was still just kind of like you 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 want more, right? And it like I think you phrased it perfectly when you said it's it's time to win big, no no more building, no more, not even just like a, let's be a nine seed and get to the tournament thing. I don't think that's good enough. Like we we got to start 
having some major success here. It's time to win big. Yeah, and um, I like how you brought up that NIT stuff just because, you know, I feel like there is something to the past um, NIT winners who won it the year before and having success the following year, um, or at least just in the future. Um, 2013, you know who won the NIT? Golden Gophers. No, that was 2014. 2013's Baylor. Oh, it was a year ahead. North Carolina. They were runner-up 2010 and then ended up having some good seasons after that. And so it, it, it isn't necessarily the very, very next year, but there is something to Wichita State. Uh, they won – when did they win it? They won 2011. And then I think 13 they were in the Final Four. Yeah. And so it may not be like, you know, the very next year after you win the NIT, you're going to be successful or go to the Final Four or whatever. But, like, just in the next coming years, if you're start building your program up like that. And so there is something to be said there. Well, who won it in 2013? It felt like you were, you were like, really – you were going with that with something. You said, who won it in 2013? The NIT? Oh, did I say yeah. it? Baylor. Baylor. There we go. And they won a national yeah. title this last year. So People forget that. <laughs> well, are they going to be in the Big 12 anymore? So did everybody else in the Big 12 still? Does that national title go with everybody else after the Big 12 disbands? You know, what is the statute of limitations? Say if Houston joined the Big 12 in three years, do they get to claim that title? I don't see why they shouldn't be able to. Also, Tulane still gets the title that UConn won back in the day when they were in the American. Also, you know, with Texas and Oklahoma going to the SEC in probably two years, do the rest of the SEC schools get to claim that Big 12 title? Ooh. <laughs> These degrees of separation are kind of like those Kevin Bacon degrees of separation. It's, it's tough to – it's tough to – my brain can only comprehend so much. <laughs> All right, we're getting loosey-goosey. You have anything else to talk about? <laughs> The only other thing that I saw that that caught my interest uh, recently was they, they've been dropping a lot of the non-conference schedules for a lot of teams here, and, and the only the one that the one that I really noticed that I'm intrigued by is uh, UCLA is going to host Villanova, uh, I believe, in early is it early November? They're going to host them in a in a non-conference matchup, which uh, I think could be a lot of fun. UCLA to host Villanova. What is the date on this? November 12th. They'll play in November 12th. So that'll be one of like the early first week of the season. We'll be kind of in that like pre-feast week action where Thanksgiving's kind of coming right around the corner. Um, get hyped about that one. Talk talk to me. What do you think about that game? My first question is, you know, you, I believe you stated UCLA is hosting. That leads me to believe that it is not a neutral site game. Yeah. Take notes, Duke. Yeah, be like Villanova. Don't be afraid. Um, but yeah, very excited about that matchup. That'll for sure. That's got to be a top five matchup, right? I would think. I have a feeling Villanova. They just haven't had like a real buzzy off season. You know, like like the first they they kind of were like Maryland, where they kind of like they won like the first couple of days. It's kind of like a you know in the NBA and the NFL like with free agency. Like you win that first day, and then more moves keep happening, and everyone kind of forgets. Like, oh yeah, that's right, the big player signed here. Like Villanova won like the first day because Gillespie and. Uh, uh, who was the other kid that they they got two they got two guys coming back more. and more yeah yeah with those two guys coming back and Samuels Jermaine Samuels too they got these guys coming back and it was like this is this is great and now nothing else has really happened since then and there's just been a ton of I mean unprecedented levels of of turnover right with all these transfers and fifth year guys coming back and all that stuff I feel like Villanova's kind of gotten kind of forgot about. 
it's kind of spursy where like they don't make a lot of buzzy moves, but they're just going to be really solid. I, I have a feeling there's going to be, I, without, without doing much research, I wonder if they're going to be a little underrated at the beginning of the year, just because their off season wasn't all that buzzy. UCLA obviously is going to have huge hype. Yeah. I see what you're saying about like, yeah, the first two days, first three days, whatever it was. Cause I, I think like Colin Gillespie and Justin Moore coming back were within an hour of each other, to be honest. Like immediately. Um, but I think the reason why, yeah, for sure. But I think the reason why you sort of forget about them was they weren't part of the transfer portal. They were part of just getting past players back. They got their own guys to come back, which is wild. It's old. That's the old way of doing things, Biggs. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. Guys are allowed to stay at the same school that they committed to. It's right. crazy. And UCLA, for the most part, did the same, really. I guess, yeah, they got one transfer. They got the Rutgers, uh, Miles Johnson. Um, but yep. they are also very similar in just getting their own guys back. Like these, This is really the battle of keeping your players this game. It's fighting for, like, honor. Like, the two most honorable programs in college hoops, they're the like the old school way of thinking. It's the old guard. And, like, the last one standing uh, will be the team that wins this game. Yeah, should be a very good game. You know, we talk about, you know, for Villanova, Colin Gillespie, Justin Moore, Jermaine Samuels. For UCLA, Johnny Juzang, your boy. Jaime Jaquez, Tiger Campbell, the hair that doesn't quit. Imagine if Tiger Campbell comes back, though, and he's got, like, cornrows. Will we even know who he is? Or we say, who's that new transfer point guard they got? What if he shaves it all off? That'd be wild. He would no longer be 5'11". He'd be, like, 5'3". You know, you know how you talked about with Penny Hardaway like a month ago, like would he be a coach if his name wasn't Penny? Well, would Tiger Campbell be considered a good player if he either didn't have the name Tiger or he didn't have the hair or if he didn't have both? Which one do you think is more essential for him? Like which one do you think he can lose and still have the respect? Like if his name was like Jim Campbell do you, or if his name was Tiger Campbell but he had like like regular hair. You know, like a nice little, just kind of like a faux hawk. Is that still a thing? I feel like Tiger would have to be the one you keep. You could have the name Tiger and have a regular name. If you had, if you had the name Jim, like you said, and had that hair, people would th- think you're trying too hard. Yeah, that's probably true. That's that's probably true. You could do a lot if your name is Tiger. You could like color your hair with stripes. You know, like you could really get weird, like a tiger. <laughs> exactly. That's a that's. <laughs> Great thought. <laughs> and that was our evaluation of Villanova versus UCLA. Yeah, love it. I can't wait. I'm just I, – I, we've talked about this. Like I love early season non-conference basketball. It's kind of disgusting sometimes because these teams don't know what they're doing yet. They're not rounded into form. But I love the obscure matchups that you just aren't going to see very often. You know, like, yeah, I get to watch Kansas-Texas uh, randomly on a Big 12 Monday night like in, in January and February. Cool. Uh, I get to watch all the random big, like the Big Ten matchups, where every team plays each other and they hate each other. Duke, Carolina, you know all these ACC games where there's where there's this blood because these teams know each other. I, I, that's that's enjoyable too. But I love when the teams just completely obscure matchups that you're just not going to see. I mean, this is like the first time in like 11 years these two teams are playing each other in the non-conference. Like, I don't know why. I, I think that's a. I have fun with that kind of stuff. I think it's enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. So yeah, let's put a bow on this, Bigs. Um, you know, it wasn't easy. We got through it. Um, it was a little easier to keep focused without your dog running around and trying to jump in my lap. Um, True. Yeah, how, how do you think this went? 
if I were grading our performance, uh, and this is good because I, I really pride myself on self-reflection, uh, taking taking time to reflect for us. I, I think I would say, given the given the obstacles that we've had to face, I would say B plus. You know, maybe B minus, and then with the curve, it, we we graded up to a B plus because we're kind of taking like the 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 more difficult approach here. You know, we we're fighting against the elements. Um, we're taking the hard way. We're not taking the easy way and we've decided to continue fighting through it. And, and I think we should be commended for that. I, I, for one, am really proud of us. And so we'll see how this goes. This is obviously, you know, we went from having a close relationship to a long distance relationship. Um, and it doesn't always work bigs, but we'll give it our, give it our all. Absolutely. And, and you know, we'll, we'll eventually be in person again. We'll, you know, and, and we'll just have to really cherish those moments. True. I agree. So let's get out of here. All right. Bye. Bye.